We're going to look at now a very simple question. What made the first Christians so contagious? Okay. So what made him so contagious? Okay. So number one is the first factor about the good news, first benefit of the resurrection is I don't have to live with guilt and shame anymore. So I don't have to live with guilt and shame anymore. So we're here we're looking at what happened to these first Christians that made their faith so contagious. Paul's letter to the Ephesians says this, In Christ we are set free by the blood of his death, so we have forgiveness of sins because of God's rich grace. If you would underline or circle the word free and forgiveness. We weren't, we weren't made for guilt. And what Paul says is that the death and resurrection of Jesus freed us and forgiven us of our sins. And the early Christians knew that in their own life by experience. Let's look at the prophecy of Isaiah, which was 700 years before Christ was born which is one of the over 300-plus prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus' life. Um, let's take a look. All of us have strayed away like sheep. We have left God's past to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the guilt and the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. From prison and trial they led him away to his death. But who among the people realized he was dying for their sins, that he was suffering their punishment? He had done no wrong, and he never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have a multitude of children. Now, just think of this prophecy. I mean, this is 700 years before Christ. So what's Isaiah doing here? He's, He's writing about an event and about a person that he had never met. And describing what, and you can see why the early church looked at this prophecy and said, that's Jesus, you know, that's who fulfills this. In other words, the prophecies of Jesus that are fulfilled in his life indicate God's plan all along was to send his son to die and to be raised up. It just simply wasn't a military, government, political event. It was God's plan all along. Romans 4.25, Jesus was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised from the dead to make us right with God. So what Jesus did for us then freed us of guilt and shame by forgiving us of our sins. Okay, so the second, number two is, that made the early church so contagious, our early Christians so contagious, was that they didn't fear death. Even today, right? I'm sure many of us are familiar with ISIS and the martyrdom, of the, particularly the, uh, is it the Egyptian or Syrian Christians. That's been well publicized. You know, and you think, you know, they didn't have to die. Because they could have said, they could have just acquiesced in some way, compromised in some way. But here they were with 32 men ready to be, from the pictures, ready to be executed. And we're executed, of course. All because of Jesus, all because of their belief in Jesus. 
So there are Christians, let's look at Second Peter. When we told you about the powerful coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we were telling, we're not telling made-up stories that someone invented. Rather, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So they were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. Within 20 years, as I mentioned, actually I said 10 earlier, it's actually 20 years in the early church in Jerusalem, had grown to over 150,000 people. So they lived by the eyewitness and because they saw that Jesus had conquered death by his rising. So in other words, their encounter with him as risen gave freed them from the fear of death. Acts chapter 1, verse 3, uh, Luke says, For 40 days after his death, Jesus appeared to people many times in many ways that proved beyond doubt that he was alive. They saw him and he talked with them about the kingdom of God. Disciples had many encounters with Jesus, many dinners with him, many conversations with him, many meetings with him. And there they testify with their own life that he was alive and risen. And they indicated it by their own life as well, because many of them were martyred for him. So the second benefit of the resurrection is that I don't have to fear death, that Jesus has conquered my death. Okay, number three, I receive God's Holy Spirit in me. Jesus said this, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you receive power and will tell people everywhere about me in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Pentecost changed everything because the church was born there. But Pentecost came as a result of the risen Christ going back to his father and pouring out the Holy Spirit. So what's the power of the resurrection? It's the power to start over again. It's the power to change. It's the power to conquer habits. It's power that changes our personality. The power of the resurrection is the risen Christ changing us because he was transformed. So when you feel like you've come to the end of your rope, you feel like you've given up, you feel like you're running on empty. God never intended for us to live on our resources or power. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit, so we could live by his power. That's the fruit of the resurrection. The early church had that in their life. That's what made them so contagious, because they knew they were living by his power, not their own. I mean, how were they going to be able to evangelize a pagan, ancient empire and outlive the Roman Empire. And how are they going to do that? They did it by his power because they were insignificant in terms of resources compared to the pagan world. Just insignificant. And yet here they did, by the year 1313, Constantine, a Roman emperor, declares Christianity legal religion. And over half the Roman Empire was Christian. How do they do that? Is it by the power of the Holy Spirit? We'll talk more about the Holy Spirit in the next two weeks. Paul says, Ephesians chapter 1, he says, or verses 19 and 20, he says, I pray that you will begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe him. It is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. In other words, the power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that's available to our life as well. 
That's through the Holy Spirit. The fourth benefit of the resurrection that made the early church and the Christians so contagious was they were unconditionally loved by God. Unconditionally loved. Let's look at John 3, 16, 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Christianity is not a message of hate or anger or fear, but it's a message of love. And the early church experienced the power of the risen Christ loving them individually and corporately. Jesus said this in John 13. He said, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I loved you. And you show, and you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. A great example of that is Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was um, bent on persecuting and wiping out Christianity. He saw it as a sect of Judaism, so he wanted it wiped out. He was bent on with a religious fervor bent on destroying Christianity. And then he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, right? And his life changed totally. I often say it was good news, bad news for, Paul, for Saul of Tarsus. The good news was he encountered Christ and was saved from eternal death. The bad news, he had now ministered to the Christian churches that he was persecuting. You know, what a job. <laughs> Go back to the people that you threw into jail as you were killing their family members, you know. Go back to them and pastor them, shepherd them, build them up and literally lay down your life for them. That's exactly what he did. How, how did that happen? Well, if you notice that one of Paul's themes throughout his, all his letters, and it's beautifully expressed in Romans chapter 8, who can, be for, who can be for us? If God, you know, who can be against us if God is for us? Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not death, not persecution, not angels, not demons, nothing. We're more than conquerors through him who has loved us. Paul was overwhelmed by the love of God, the unconditional love of God for him. That's what changed his life. That's what he encountered on the road to Damascus. And that made his life driven by the love of God for him. That's what drove his life. So for Paul, love was the love of God was not abstract. It was not theological in the sense of being heady. It had literally changed his life. He was a different man. And that's what drove him. First letter, John says, this is how we know uh, who the children of God are. Anyone who does not obey God's command, doesn't love others, is not a child of God. This is the message we've heard from the beginning. We must love each other. But that love comes from knowing, encountering, experiencing God's love for us. Number five. Again, we're looking at what made the early church so contagious, what made the early Christians so contagious. The fifth benefit is that I can live with purpose and meaning. We talked, and one of the groups had mentioned that earlier. To have meaning, to have purpose to your life, uh, Jesus came to give reason and, and give meaning and purpose to people's lives. And without meaning and purpose for our life, we will find meaning and purpose for our life, sometimes with the wrong things. Okay, But we can't live without meaning. We can't live without purpose. And if we don't fill it with the things of the Lord, then we're going to fill it with something because we need purpose and meaning. 
So Jesus gave people meaning. Let's take a look at Mark 8. He says here, if you insist on saving your life, you will lose it. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it really means to live. So in other words, Jesus was saying, look, you want meaning and purpose for your life? Here it is. You know, give away your life for me, to me and for the sake of the gospel. Acts 15, verse 26, they risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. How did they, why did the early Christians do that? They had a purpose and a meaning for their life that Jesus gave them that made them fearless, that made them willing to lay down their lives and give their lives away. So they didn't let persecution stop them. You know, they didn't let the persecution of the, of the Roman government or the Jewish council. Christianity was illegal for 300 years. Romans called their, their God was Caesar. Christianity said, no, it's Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. We don't mind paying taxes to Caesar. We don't mind maintaining right order in the, in the empire, but we're, he's not God. Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord, you know. So they were fearless because they had a purpose and a meaning that transcended their life here on earth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Our troubles and sufferings, after all, quite small and won't last very long. Yet this short time of distress will result in God's richest blessings upon us forever and ever. So we don't focus our attention on the trouble we see right now. Instead, we look forward to the joys in heaven, which we haven't yet seen. Our troubles will soon be over, but joys to come will last forever. So the Christian, or the Christians figured out this. Suffering here on earth for Jesus is a short-term gain with a long-term benefit, heaven. St. Paul said it this way, for me, living is for Christ, dying is even better. They had a purpose and a meaning for their life that drove them in this life because they saw a life that went beyond this life. Number six, what made the early Christians and the church so contagious was because of the resurrection, they, heaven was opened to them. They knew they had an eternal inheritance. They had, to, they had to be faithful to the Lord, of course. They couldn't assume any, they couldn't presume it. They weren't, they weren't uh, negligent or casual with it. You know, they guarded what the Lord had given them. But uh, they, they lived a life which they knew the Lord had died and risen and poured out his spirit into their hearts to be able to give them an eternal inheritance. They knew heaven was his gift to them, to spend eternity with him. They knew that. Heaven was open because of the resurrection to them. First Peter says this, we've been born into new life, which has an inheritance that can't be destroyed or corrupted and can't fade away. That inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Now, you have, we need to remain faithful to the Lord and persevere, of course. But, you know, it's not a guesswork, okay? It's not like trying to, at the end of our life, we're going to roll the dice and see if, you know, what comes up. Or, you know, hoping my, my credits are outweigh my debt, <laughs> debits. That's not, the Lord didn't come and die and be raised up for guesswork for us. We can live in his friendship and persevere and die in his friendship and know that heaven is the inheritance he gives us. Because the early church understood that. The first Christians were fearless because they knew their future was in his hands 
and their future was in the home he prepared for them. First Corinthians chapter 2 says this, No eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard, and no mind has ever imagined the wonderful things God has prepared for those who love him. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So they understood that in their life. And that's what made them uh, very gracious uh, with their life. And they could pour their life out in love to one another. They could pour their life out in witness, even if it meant suffering and persecution, because they knew that heaven was their eternal and lasting home. St. Paul said this way, we have no, our, our true citizenship is in heaven. We have no lasting home here, he said. So what St. Paul says in Romans 10, verse 9, he says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, confessing with the mouth was, this is all a baptism formula that was used in the early church. Confess with the mouth that Jesus is Lord means that Jesus is my way, my truth, and my life. He reigns over every aspect of my life. I submit my life entirely to him. He's the Lord. He's the God of my life. No one else can rival him. And believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Uh, meaning that, that God raised Jesus from the dead, and that means affirmed everything about him. That he's, what he, everything he said, everything he did was affirmed and like magnified a million times over as being true. In other words, that's what, that's what I'm saying when I believe in my heart that Jesus has been raised from the dead. That everything he said, everything he did is true about him. And I'll be saved, which means I'm, I'm experiencing the work of salvation in my life. I'm being saved from death. God is at work saving me now, and he will he'll complete his salvation when he gives me a resurrected body. Or I like to say, we get an upgrade in our bodies. <laughs> okay. It's a resurrected body. Okay, so what I'd like you to do is, in your small groups, we'll take about 10 minutes to do this, is what one really spoke to you? What one benefit of the resurrection really kind of jumped out and said, wow, you know, that's... That's, that's one I like to lay hold of.